Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. Welcome to the Spent the Rent Podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. My guest today is a candidate in the Eugene 4J School District position six, and a parent, former teacher, and longtime volunteer in 4J, Maya Rabasa. Am I saying your last name right? You're saying it great. Thank you. Okay. So welcome to the show, Maya. It's an honor to have you. Uh, This is part three of a three-part series uh, I'm calling Meet the Candidates. With this podcast, I, I like to give my audience a chance to get to know some of the people running in our community. And it's been an amazing networking tool for me that I had no idea would get to where it is now. And so I appreciate you coming on the show and chatting with me today. Well, thank you for having me. And thank you for making a show like this, Um, especially during the special election when Lane County declines to print a voter's pamphlet. Any uh, medium for sharing information with voters in the community about the folks that will eventually, um, you know, impact their lives in significant ways is is really meaningful and appreciated by me. Thank you. Yeah, it's a it's a true honor, and and I've lived in Eugene and Springfield for a long time, but to be able to do this and like I said, network and I mean the fact that I'm friends with people that I never thought I would be, and and learning so much about the process. I I cover mostly Springfield right now because that's where I live, and it's digestible because this is all new to me. I mean, like I had said on, on, on the previous episodes today, next week, I'm going to have Chris Wig on the chair of the democratic party. And I'm going to ask him like, what does the LCC board do? Cause I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, I have an idea of the school board. So there's just things that, that I'm learning so much by just doing this show. And it's kind of fun for people listening and watching to just be able to see, you know, me learn. And then they get to of course, learn as well. Right. So before we get started, I want to talk to you about Thomas Huda. You did his podcast. I did. And and uh, we, him and I talked yesterday and he was he said it was one of his favorite episodes he's done. And, and he hasn't done anything in a long time. So that must oh, have wow. been awesome. I can't wait to hear it. Him and I have such a different technique. You know, he takes a lot of time and he's meticulous with his editing and stuff. I do not do that. This okay. is episode three. We we. Uh, I started nine o'clock this morning. We're recording this at 11. I've already got two episodes canned and online. This is insane that I've been able to pull this off. So I'm, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. I, yeah. Thank you. Yes. So thanks again for doing this and let's just get started. Yeah. So uh, what motivated you to want to run for the school board? Well, that's, um, that's a really good question. And I think one that um, 
we should always be ready to answer. And yet it still is one that often um, stumps candidates, to be honest. I ran four years ago uh, for position two, and I ran four years ago at the bequest of a handful of teachers and the collection of parents. Um, I'm here four years later with the same support network, but I'm here um, because while I see some movement in the in the areas where I feel as though 4J faces some pretty major challenges, the work is not done. And I'm, I'm here to, to continue to put my name forward as someone who is eager and um, committed to seeing significant change in our in our school system. Um, I'm also motivated because um, I see um, a school board in place currently that um, is, is lacking in some areas of representation. And I see um, folks who have some overlap, but what I'm seeing missing is someone with direct access to our schools. Someone who, um, you know, on Wednesday nights we enact policy and what does it look like on Thursday morning when teachers and staff and even volunteers have to put that policy into action. Um, so, so those are the things that motivate me, bringing that perspective to the table, but also, um, um, I know what it's like to learn English in public school, for example. Um, I know what it's like to, you know, get to week three of the month and 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 wonder what's going to happen for week four in terms of paying bills. And and I don't see that reflected currently, and I haven't for a very long time. Um, those are just two quick examples, but um, I feel as though. Um, there's folks up there who believe in representation, but more of a classical form in the sense of what democracy means, right? You're an elected official, so you are a representative, but I don't see representation in the sense of um, what we've been talking about so much in the last year with all the conversations around social justice. Um, that's the kind of representation that I see missing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, you, you are a parent and then a former teacher and life our lifelong volunteer, uh, when you taught, what did, how did, what did you do? Oh gosh. I taught for a long time in many different spaces. So I've taught from preschools all the way through undergraduate classrooms. Um, I've taught, um, at the University of Oregon, I taught classes in the International Studies Department. Um, and, and then more, most recently, um, before I left the classroom, I taught at Network Charter School. And I taught classes that delivered both social studies and language arts credits. Um, it's a wonderful school with a lot of uh, room for innovation. And so I taught classes, uh, they weren't very uh, creatively titled, but I taught gender studies. And then I also taught a class called Stereotypes in Society. Um, so those, and then and then that, that ended for me about 14 years ago when I left the classroom to become a volunteer when my oldest was a kindergarten kindergartner. And, um, and you know, when you're a teacher, you're kind of in constant um, survival mode. So even though there's major budget shortfalls that impact your experience in the classroom, you got to keep going. You got to keep moving. You got to fix the. You got to. You got to just um, adjust, right? But as a parent, and particularly a kindergarten parent, who are um, pretty relentless in terms of I want the best for my kid. Um, you know, it's that that transition moment. Um, I saw so many places that um, there were holes and that I could step up to fill. So that's when I made that transition. Um, so 
since then, I think I'm close to clocking in upwards of 6,000 hours on the ground in 4J schools. Wow, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, and and I've made sure um, to, to kind of diversify that experience and those hours. You know, there's really prolific volunteers all over 4J, um, and a lot of them do um, really important but very similar work, whether it's reading, you know, leading reading groups, working one-on-one -on -one with students, um, fundraising, things like that. But I've tried to also make sure that the places that I see holes and the places where I'm frustrated, I can put my energy into um, seeing how I can impact those places. So whether it's um, noticing a, um, a deficit of communication, I've stepped up to write newsletters to parents and made sure that they were in both Spanish and English and stuffed the envelopes for teachers to make sure those newsletters get home. Um, I've made sure that when there's um, a collection of students that we're seeing aren't showing up for the after hours events that are usually the fun part, you know, the part of school that gets you excited, whether it's movie nights or carnivals or harvest festivals. Um, I've, I've stepped up to be someone who will go and pick up kids so that they can make it to those, to those events. For example, right. I've stepped up to make sure that, um, translation services are available during meetings, during conferences, and I've, um, declined to be paid for those efforts and just continue to do that as a volunteer. So really a, a wide range. Um, one of my favorite things to do is to kind of linger in the morning and see which kids are needing some extra time to transition and sitting with them while they eat breakfast and get ready to go get into the classroom. Um, you know, that morning can be pretty jarring. And if you don't set the tone right for the day, your day is going to be really difficult. So yeah, just like a wide range like that. Yeah, I think classroom experience is really important. You know, I don't, I'm not going to claim to know what it is to be on the school board or ex exactly even what it, what you do. But right. I think that just having much a wide range of perspective is really important. And definitely uh, the teachers need to be heard, you know, and, and absolutely. So you had mentioned charter school and yeah. we didn't plan on talking about this, but I really want to hear your take on it uh, yeah. because there's there's a lot of different opinions across the political spectrum when it comes to charter schools. It's kind of an interesting crossover where I don't know if it's a left or right issue. What is your feeling about charter schools? Do you think that they're a good option? Oh gosh, this is one of those where I wish there were um, a you know a concrete blank answer like yes and no, um, and so it's going to be a yes and a no answer. Yeah, um, no, fair, there's fair. there's charter schools um, that are charter schools as a category encompasses such a wide range of practices and values. So charter schools, when we hear it and we think of it as kind of um, from a progressive perspective, I should say, um, kind of a bad word, right? Like, Ooh, what does that mean? Is that privatizing school? And yeah, that is what it means in a lot of situations. You get a lot of that in California, you get a lot of that on the East coast. Um, and, and, um, that's a problem in my opinion. I, I'm not uh, at all in favor of the privatized for-profit, especially private schools, uh, sorry, charter schools. Um, now in Eugene, um, we have a collection of charter schools that um, um, I think are, are fall into a different category. And I can speak specifically to network charter school. I taught there, my kid went there. I currently sit on the board there and have for quite a few years. And what I see happening with network charter school is um, 
I see 4J getting really lucky because networks delivering a service to a collection of students that aren't getting what they need in the mainstream schools. And we do have another option called ECHO, early career and college, early career and college options or early college career options. I'm getting my C's backwards, sure. but they're different. It's a different school. It's a different program. Network is, um, is a school that sees individuals. It's a small school. You don't get lost at network. Um, and what I, what I love about network is that it's very real life oriented. So yes, you're earning credit, but like my favorite term my son had at network charter school in the morning, I drop him off at nearby nature over in Alton Baker park. And he would get PE and science credits at the same time. And he would get that by doing, by learning how to fish. Oh, wow. And everything involved with learning how to fish, right? So there's that whole metaphor of teach Amanda fish, you know. Sure. But the afternoon, he'd be over at the main site taking international culinary arts. Now, if he caught a fish that morning, he also got to learn how to take that fish and turn it into something not only edible, but tasty. Wow. Um, so for me, it's like, it's those kinds of connections, you know, it's like, why do we need to wait till college or if we even go to college to learn about the interdisciplinariness of our lives and how things are um, so woven together. So long story short, I'm a big supporter of Network Charter School. In my dream world, if I had my druthers, it would just be Network School and it would be fully supported with full funding by Eugene School District 4J and not left with, um, a fraction of the funding that other schools get and it, and it would be valued in a way that 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 it was represented formally as one of our of our choices for students um we also I, started yeah we started like seventh grade yeah i like the idea of being outside the students it's being, amazing you know i think yeah. that there's so much just being in nature and right I mean, we're in a community like eugene where that's so appreciated i don't know right. why that's not pushed more right uh right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, a charter schools just, you know, they get a bad rap. My kids went to McKinsey for their first couple of years of high school okay. before they lived with their dad. They're my stepsons. So they okay. lived with their dad. And that was, there was talk about that becoming a charter school. And I know this doesn't affect 4J, but it would have benefited them. There's a lot of people that thought that that would have been beneficial because of the fact that the funding just was not there. You know, right. there's not a population. And so there was different ways. And, and that's a whole different conversation. Maybe I'll have right. you back on and we can have specifically about charter school. Oh, I'd love that. I, I think, think that, that would be really yeah. cool. And I think a lot of people listening are like, what's that? And so unfortunately, today's not going to be the day, but, it's but all down, good. down the road, we'll do that. Definitely. So now once in office, what is your number one priority? Oh, my number one priority. Um, that is... Um, something that's overarching. There's a lot of priorities and needs and, 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 um, and also places to celebrate what the district is doing. But my number one priority, especially coming out, coming, well, coming out of the pandemic is probably not the way to, best way to say it. I've been referring it to moving into a pandemic adjacent sure. <laughs> mode. Um, but I think, I think what we need to do is, is rebuild trust. Um, there's been a lot of um, folks who in the past had not lost trust in our school district. And then there's some who um, um, already were going into the pandemic with some hesitancy in terms of just um, laying it out and letting the district guide us. Um, and I think that between those two groups, we have a large contingency of families and community members 
who, um, wherever they fall on the reopening uh, plan, are feeling um, unheard and uninvolved and kind of left out of the equation. And for any social service agency, um, trust is the is the cornerstone of the health of that agency. And so for me, that's the number one priority and everything else can follow. Um, but until trust is put in place, all efforts are going to be um, are going to be left with room to um, question and feel hesitant about throwing our support behind district decisions. So um, that to me is about rebuilding relationships, strengthening relationships, reaching out to the folks who did not lose trust in the district and asking them to serve as you know, ambassadors of the district in the sense of um, speaking out about the, the, the importance of what the district is doing. Um, and, and at the core of that, you mentioned teachers' voices needing to be heard. Um, teachers' voices need to be heard. Classified staff needs to be heard. Um, a reopening plan without a, a representation, um, a genuine representation from the classified staff is going to leave our... Um, our most vulnerable staffing population really in a precarious situation. Um, you know, this is about safety and this is about making sure that um, everyone is involved. Um, that includes families, that includes the neighbors in the neighborhood. Yeah. So, um, and to yeah. me, that's, that's where you rebuild trust. And from there, all the other things that I really wanna see happen will be able to happen more swiftly and without complication. Right. You had mentioned the pandemic and, you know, I had said this on all three episodes now of this series that my viewpoint from a parent's perspective and just a citizen has changed daily on how I feel about in-person people going back to in-person learning, at least for this school year, you know, that I, I'm not sure still where I stand because as we see people are getting vaccinated, yes, but there's been such a lax attitude because of that people are like oh it's over and and we're, right. we've been talking about this like pandemic coming to an end kind of stuff and it's like we're not even close you know we have so absolutely. much absolutely so what is what is the process look like for you uh just kind of how your viewpoint has changed from even two months ago to today with where you're at with getting back into in-person learning oh gosh i'm with you it changes every day and i think you know we have to remember that a uh, um systems are made up of individuals, right? So um, even I can imagine that the institution that is 4J is constantly shifting, which is what makes it so hard to be um, in direct communication constantly, because um, if we're changing our minds, imagine a collection of people who are trying to make a choice altogether. Um, everything is constantly shifting. I have, um, in my house, I have uh, three kids. One of them already graduated, so he's in a different situation, although he works in the food industry, so he's really um, highly exposed. Um, and then my husband is a third grade teacher, and I have a third grade daughter who's actually in his class and then um, a 10th grade son. So for me, I've really had to look at this um, as a very case by case um, driven process because I, um, my, my husband is going back, he is back in the classroom. And because he, um, because he teaches my daughter and he's already being exposed to the same students she would be exposed to, 
um, in the same community. My daughter is is back in school with him two days a week. My son, on the other hand, um, is um, he has some pretty severe chronic illnesses um, to the point that they kept him out of school for three years prior to the pandemic. So this is year four of my kid being socially isolated. Um, he, he, he wasn't in school at all for seventh, eighth and ninth grade. Um, now he's not 16 yet, so he's not able to get the vaccine. And um, his, his level of um, risk is way too high for me to even um, entertain him going back to school. So he's at home. And so it's, it's you know, just having those different, those different stories within one family makes me really feel very flexible about the need to be constantly adjusting where we view and how we view this all happening. By next year, he will be of age to be vaccinated. And I'm still not sure that it's going to be the right choice for him. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So yeah, for me, yeah. Both of my other interviews were with uh, candidates in Springfield and, and Eugene and Springfield have so many different right. approaches, right. Not approaches, but just needs. And so right. in Eugene, the sheer size compared to Springfield, there's so many different moving parts and so many different philosophies. It's got to be really challenging. I think for Springfield politically, there's just a lot of people that fall in the middle. You know, you know, a right. lot of times where Eugene, yeah. you've got a lot of different viewpoints. Everyone thinks it's so one sided and it's just not true. You yeah. know, and it's funny you had mentioned your husband as a as a t career teacher. I think most parents can relate now to being a teacher for this last year <laughs> because they have became that third grade teacher that they right. never thought that they they that they right. probably themselves would be the first to admit are not qualified for. And I think they have a newfound appreciation for teachers. But yes. I do know also from the uh, school board member's perspective, I'm not going to say his name, but a friend of mine who is currently on the Springfield School Board, he was very irritated with teachers because of the fact that he and this is his, his thing and I'm, I'm not going to get too deep into it. But he said that he's never like they everybody had to make sacrifices. And, and a lot of what he was getting on the board was hearing from teachers saying, I want a full pay and I don't want to go back. And he's like, we have to be willing to sacrifice and make moving, you know, movements. And, and like you said, be on the fly with this. So what a challenge. So the job that you're signing up for is going to be a, a big undertaking. There's no question. So yeah. So it I is. think it's an interesting time for people in public office, especially with the school board to say, I want to do that job. And I think that there's something to be said for that. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been wanting to do this job now since I first ran four years ago. I didn't run two years ago because that was when my son was at the height of his health challenges. Um, so I, you know, made the plan to do this now and um, and I committed to it. And, and then suddenly here we are with this completely different um, set of circumstances that then color everything else. And, and you're right. It is pretty daunting to take this on. Um, I, I, I would be disingenuous if I said that it was no big deal. <laughs> it's, yeah, no, it's, it's huge. It's so now yeah. uh, what would you like to see changed with how education is being ran in Lane County? Ignore the pandemic being a thing. Just in general, you know, whether it's testing or whatnot, what would you like to see change with how education is being ran in Lane County? Well, when you mentioned your friend on the Springfield School Board, um, 
that that reminds me of something that I think we need to do more of in Lane County, which is um, collaborate and communicate across districts. You know, we have students who move between districts all the time, and yet we're operating like these separate little vacuums that do not, you know, interact. I um, so I I have had the privilege of meeting with a handful of um, prospective board members and current board members from from the area, not just Springfield and um, Bethel, but also folks from Mapleton, other places like that, where we can come together and talk about ideas and talk about how, how things take shape within their own school boards. Um, and I think that, that that needs to happen more. I recently had the privilege of working on, um, so FAFSA, which is the federal process by which you get um, financial aid for college. Um, 4J um, canceled their FAFSA sessions at my son's high school for Spanish-speaking families. And so I brought, yeah, and, and I don't know if that's a just this year thing or who knows what, but it, it, was, it was troubling to me. Um, FAFSA is already really difficult to navigate yeah. and to cancel that for, for the community who also has a language barrier. Um, it, 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 wasn't, it didn't sit right with me. So with a collection of other folks, um, we reached out to the, to the folks at Lane ESD's Migrant Ed Program, and they had already had a session for their Migrant Ed um, clients. And so what we were able to do is um, in collaboration with 4J, Springfield, Bethel, Junction City, um, Migrant Ed, and I know uh, maybe Cottage Grove also, I'm leaving a few people off. We, we organized and we created um, a couple of uh, opportunities for families to get one-on-one -on -one help to walk through that process. Um, and, and doing so collectively, um, just it just meant pooling resources and pooling energy and not reinventing the wheel, so to say. And I think that that, you know, that to me on a on a county level is where where we need to put more time and energy is is saying this is working for us. Let me tell you why or what's working for you. And can you help us figure out why it's not working for us? Right. Um, so, you know, we have all these resources and yet we're we're just kind of um, hoarding them for our own our right. own students. And, and again, those students from, you know, one weekend to the next could be a 4J student to a Springfield student that, you know, there's yeah. no, there's no reason why not. So well, that was my experience. I, yeah. I went to Springfield high school and then I transferred and graduated from South Eugene. And it was a great thing for me because I got to experience completely different, really cultures. I mean, even right. it, it was very different. Right, and, right. And I had talked about that on the last episode. I'm sure you'll go back and listen. Cause it's really interesting this, this day that, that I've, yeah how it's I gone. Do. I want to listen. So, I, I heard the Kelly one, but I haven't heard the second one. Yeah. So. Kelly was great. So, and Anthony is really interesting too. Anthony talks a lot about vocational training in, in, right. in high school. And I think that that's super awesome. And yes. just, there's so many different routes that people can do to become a young adult thriving, right. you know? Absolutely. So, so you had mentioned uh, in the last uh, question about uh, how you'd like to see things change, you had mentioned issues with equity. Mm -hmm. And so you know, let's talk more about that. How are some ways local schools can create equity for marginalized students? One of the things that I do want to talk on too is the Kendrick Lamar situation in Eugene. Oh yes. So just in general, let's 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 talk about that first. Kendrick Lamar, do you you will know a bit more about this than I would, I would assume. I don't know exactly what happened. So the story broke the Eugene Weekly that Kendrick Lamar, I think he won a Pulitzer, is what it is. Yes. And for writing in poetry, uh 
and he's the first hip hop artist to ever win it. And it's huge. And this is where culturally people are so ignorant when it comes to hip hop because people like common common spoke at the white house with Obama and people on Fox news were having a heyday because they're like, why would they invite him? I'm like, have you ever listened to his music? Like not everybody's a gangster rapper. And even if they are, we should actually listen to them too, because without hip hop, we wouldn't be as a, in, in a primarily white community, we wouldn't even know the things we know, you know, you know, so what is your take on, on the North Eugene situation on North Eugene administrators? Can you say exactly what happened? They decided that they didn't want to teach a curriculum. I, you know, I can't say exactly what happened. I can, you you summarized it pretty well. Um, I I sit on the equity committee and have for a while now. And um, I asked for us to bring that to the equity committee this last meeting. Um, unfortunately, because of how they structure their agendas, it wasn't going to make it, but I'm really hoping that we, we bring it next month. Um, so in like two weeks coming up, um, so I have less answers than I would like myself. Um, but my understanding is that that's exactly what happened that Kendrick Lamar, um, had been on the, uh, in the curriculum. I'm not sure if all teachers in language arts were teaching him or just some. Um, I do know my son went to North Eugene High School and graduated from there. And I do know that um, teaching Kendrick Lamar um, is the kind of thing that makes a complete difference in a student's yeah. approach and learning opportunities. Um, my kids, my kid is, is a he, he, post high school, he's become much more interested in a lot of things that um, might be considered more classically academic, but in the midst of high school, he he didn't have that pull. And the days that I would pick him up and he would be studying folks like Kendrick Lamar, he'd get in the car and he would just be like talking and talking and so jazzed and so connected. And and um, and to me, it's a tragedy that we that we've removed Kendrick Lamar. Yeah, um, I know for some people. It's uh, it, it's coming down to a question of talking about Kendrick Lamar um, as a specific artist, but I think it's really important to think about this on a bigger scale, right? Like you mentioned, Pulitzer Prize winning yeah. lyricist. Now, if you if, if that doesn't pass muster, if that doesn't get people to say, okay, this is legitimate, let's include it in the in the curriculum, how, what's going to ever be good enough, right? It's I, not. I, <laughs> personally, I think they should be teaching Tupac. I mean, it's not even. Oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> you know, <because laughs> the thing is, yeah. you know, DMX is a good example. DMX was right. in the news and DMX, when he passed, tragically, and, you know, troubled man. I mean, it was a drug right. overdose, but, right. and and there's accusations of sexual assault. And and accusations at this point. And right, of right. course, we're going to listen to the to these, you know, but it was right. not a conviction, right. but accusations and people are like, why well, you can't, you know, that person. I'm like, that doesn't mean that you can't talk about the art, talk about the product of the of the environment conversation. There's so much that can be learned from it. Right. And I just right. think that when you teach, I, it doesn't matter what, what, who the student is. If you today, we're going to talk about Kendrick Lamar. Every single right. kid in the class is going to be like, what? They know right. me, they get me because yeah. Lamar is a, is a voice of a generation. Yeah. And they're going to like pick up and tune up and their head's going to be held higher and they're going to be right. tuned in and they're going to be engaged. And um, my understanding is also that um, unlike other units, this unit gave families the option to opt out and to have a different course of study. So um, which was a really generous gesture to begin with and frankly, unnecessary in my opinion like nobody's ever asked my kid if they could or asked me if my kid wants to opt out of the great gatsby sure. um 
So, and I, I'm not sure that that's the best use of his time in a classroom. Um, so um, I, the thing that when you ask like, what can happen with equity, the thing that I think we need to use this example to really look at is, is how, you know, we talk about systems and we talk about racist systems and, and anti-racism and breaking down institutional racism. Well, what I think is so fascinating and, and it was said in this, in this article, so it's accessible to everyone, but this big, huge concept that's like really hard to touch is suddenly we have this example that we can like hold on to and, and even removing Kendrick Lamar as the, as the artist and leaving it as a fill in the blank. The problem that I see that's the most um, um, gatekeeping of change is the system by which um, this decision is being protected and being defended, which is that it can be revisited, but not until next year because of the curriculum process. And me, I'm sitting here like, how can that not just be a half an hour Zoom meeting? I don't, I don't get it. I don't get how that can't just be a special, you know, for every rule, there needs to be exceptions. For every um, decision, there needs to be an appeal process. And, and so to me, that's where I see a system that's holding things back. And what's, hold, what's being held back is the, is the input of voices and it's being held back by, by a policy. And, to, and, and that's why, um, you know, it, it feels like a very neutral policy until it's applied. And when it's applied, that's when we see how it impacts, you know, right. and, progress. You know for, I know, so that you talked about them giving the option to opt out. So for parents that were like, oh, I don't know about any of the different topics. I know that there's times where we had to sign, get signatures to watch right. about the Holocaust Movies. because of violence sure. and stuff like that. Right. But the thing is, is that when it comes to this argument, it's like, so you right. want, you don't want a teacher to talk to your kid about what the rap music that they're listening to talks about. So right. you're just going to leave it just to the rapper themselves. Right. Make that argument <laughs> because it's like, so you can't claim that they're not listening to it because right. that's insanity. You yeah. know what I mean? Exactly. So I yeah. grew up listening to a band called no effects. And if my parents paid attention, then they wouldn't have let me. Right. You know? And so my dad's like, I don't know where you're getting this stuff. And it's like, listen to their damn music. You yeah, know? I listen. You know? I grew up listening to body count and right. remember, remember my dad walking in the room and being like, wait, mama's got to die tonight? Wait, right. what's going on here? And me being like, well, look, read them, read the lyrics. And I, I still, hey, <laughs> I mean, I have a no effects tattoo. It's defined my life because what they're about. And he, Fat Mike, the lead singer is a horrible human being. And I can understand the artist and the human being himself. And he's a troubled person. And I think that we need to have those conversations, you know? And so I, it's a really interesting hot topic. I really commend the, the Eugene Weekly for, for, for writing on that. And I, I mean, we don't, they're all we have left. We have the Emerald and the Weekly, and I'm sure there's others. The Chronicle is doing a good job in Springfield. Okay. Uh, but, you know, the Register Guard is garbage. So, because yeah. it literally uh, is, is. Although I do have to give a shout out to Jordan Brown, who is the education reporter for the Guard. And she that's has, fair. She has, as an individual, um, I, I'm pretty impressed with her commitment. She calls herself an education watchdog reporter. That's and good. she's really, she's doing it. I mean, she's young, she's passionate. She's um, committed to continuing to work for a paper that feels like it is um, doing similarly to reporters as school districts are doing to teachers, which is, you know, just and kind of fair. squashing you know, creativity. 
that's a really important thing in its own because there's going to be uh, people that work right. there that are fighting against the system itself. Right. Right, and, right, and right. I think that's really important yeah. because it's just, it's like the register guard is now not a local paper, but you yeah, are going to exactly. have people on the beat. So I don't want that. Right. to. Be. No, I, I hear what you're saying. I just wanted to make sure that there was, um, I, I, I'm, I'm very fond of her and I like to, to make sure people know that she's um, very thoughtful and committed. That's but, good. Um, yeah. So I want to give a shout out to the people on your campaign. Erica yeah. is who I want to give her a shout out. She's yeah. the one that, that reached out to me and asked me. Uh, it's an honor for me, to be honest, as a podcaster, when people say, hey, would you be willing to interview this person? I'm like, of course. I mean, if people are going to give me enough respect to ask me to be a guest, because my show is let's not you know, mince words. I don't get a ton of viewers. I mean, it's growing, <laughs> but the reality is, it's what my, the, the goal of my show when I started, it was to give a platform to people in my community and then learn from it essentially. And so that's been successful. And I'm, I'm, I'm pleased with that, but Erica is awesome and she's super supportive and I want to give her a shout out. Yeah. And then that leads me to my last question. What can we do to help your campaign and where can we find out more about it? What is your website called? My website is mayarabasa.com. Okay. And so, it's in the show notes. That'll be in the show notes. Right. Awesome. What can we do to help your campaign? You know, I think the, the number one thing that my campaign needs right now is um, spreading the word that, um, so on the ballot, there will be two names for, for position six, my name and Dakota Boulette. And Dakota, um, you know, when I first saw that I had somebody, because it, it came up towards the end of the filing period. And when I first saw that I had an opponent, I was like, ah, oh, okay, I got this time to shift gears and, and trudge along. And then um, I looked a little bit further and Dakota is um, a young person who recently graduated from North Eugene High School. And my, um, my whole reason for doing this is to center young people's voices. So suddenly I was like, Oh, like these mixed feelings, you know, like I was super jazzed to see that somebody had stepped up to do this, that that's on, you know, closer to the to the K-12 experience by a long shot than I am. And also a 4J graduate. To me, that was like invaluable. And so um, in the process of having conversations with Dakota, we, we have a lot of overlap in our value systems. We have a lot of overlap in what we want to see happen in the school district. And um, independent of, of my reaction to him, he made the decision to withdraw his candidacy and to um, not only withdraw his candidacy, but he has uh, generously formally endorsed mine and has jumped on to serve in an, an advisory role. Um, he checks in with me, keeps holds me to task on the things that we both have said are are, um, are parts of our priorities and goals. He's particularly focused on making sure that students who are living in poverty and are housing compromised have, um, you know, are as well served as possible um, and pushing, pushing for more attention and more understanding of their experience. Um, so I, I um, but he made the decision to withdraw after the deadline. So he will still be on the ballot. And so I'm faced with this task of um, making, making sure people know that he has withdrawn, but also really wanting people to keep an eye on him and to yeah. keep an eye out for him because he's, he's passionate. He's incredibly um, deep and thoughtful and his level of compassion through which he views the world is, is really honestly, um, incomparable to most people I've ever met. So 
um, that's, that's where you can be helpful is in, you know, making sure that that word is out, that, that he, he is on the ballot, but he, he has withdrawn. Um, so that's probably the number one place that I need some, some, um, mobilizing efforts in terms of communicating with the community. So Um, all of the candidates that I've interviewed today are different seats, obviously, because they're different school districts, but also there's a seat in Eugene. And when I had booked this show, this was a couple of weeks ago and there's been some major shifts and what you just right. talked about with the candidate withdrawing and endorsing. Can we right. talk about Laurel O'Rourke? That, Absolutely. I'd love uh, tell to talk us, about Tell Laurel. us what happened with that situation. So she's running in a different oh, seat. Yeah. And her opponent who was on the board, is that correct? Right. Anne Marie Levis has been was on the has been on the board. She still is until June 30th um, for 12 years. Um, and Anne Marie is incredibly passionate, incredibly dedicated, um, really committed to a lot of the the things that um, I want to see happen in the district. She she's done a lot of work um, both in mental health support, but recently she's jumped into the redesigning of a safety model for the district and. And I, I sit on the equity committee alongside her. Um, and then Laurel made the decision to run. And um, I, I'm not only impressed, I'm incredibly grateful and inspired by Anne-Marie to, in her recognizing that as a Black woman, what Laurel can bring to the table in terms of equity is not even comparable to what Anne-Marie would be able to. And she, and she said so straightforwardly. So, um, so she decided to withdraw and she withdrew on the last day of filing, which was a Thursday. So, so she will, is Laurel running unopposed now? No. Um, yeah, I think it, at like, I don't know, 430 or so, um, another name popped up. So in the process, um, Harry Sanger has filed to run against Laurel. Um, so we'll see how that ends up shape, shaping up. But um, to me, you know, we have a few examples of this across the state of Oregon where folks who have been in office um, have, have stepped aside or folks who were looking to shift their positions have stepped aside in favor of um, BIPOC candidates. And, and, and I'm, um, I think that that's really exciting. And, and I'm, I'm proud to see that um, the the learning cycle for Anne-Marie came to a place where she had that recognition. Yeah. You know, she was very much committed to continuing and doing another term and, um, you know, graciously and thoughtfully stepped aside. Yeah. I'll talk to Chris Wig next week about that a little more. Yeah. Uh, and he can give us more insight into that. I just, yeah. I, you know, I want it to be known. I mean, what the way that I picked these candidates, it wasn't the ones that I chose. Like I said, Erica reached out to me and asked, she's worked on your campaign. Yeah. And she's like, would you be willing to interview her? And I'm like, absolutely. And then Anthony Reed reached out to me per, on personally. And I had reached out to Kelly Mason because it is, it's a very important race for me in Springfield. I've endorsed her quickly because for one, the people that had endorsed her that I admire. And like I had said, I'm really hyper-focused on Springfield right now because I'm trying to digest it. I'm trying to learn about this whole process. So I wish I could have had the foresight to have reached out to Laurel O'Rourke to interview her. But anyone listening to this, there's going to be a lot of uh, talk about her, but there's really, really important seats happening and I don't vote in Eugene as well. So, so I have a lot of listeners in Eugene though. And so you need to look into her campaign as well as as yours, Maya Rabasa, mayarabasa.com. And then you have a Facebook page as well for your political stuff so that people can follow what you're doing with that. Is that correct? That's Maya Rabasa for 4J school board. 
And I think I have both of the links in the show notes and I'll make sure I do if I don't. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you very much for talking to me today. And thank you. And, you know, this has been a really cool day. And so uh, I'm going to end it with a song before I do. uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. And I want to remind you, my title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, uh, James Barber has been amazing in, in supporting me through these last three or four years. I'm going on my finishing my third year of the podcast. Wow. So he's, he's someone I always want to give a shout out to. If you want to sponsor the show as an individual sponsor, you can go to strpod.com slash sponsors and make a one-time or monthly donation. So any sizes is appreciated. Uh, it's a terrible thing I just did because I know right now everyone should be donating to campaigns, but I have, <laughs> have to pay our bills. No, but, uh, and so, you know, uh, I do want to have you back on down the road to talk about charter schools. Cause I think that we could talk for two hours about that. And I think we should. I, I think, think we should it's the conversation that should happen. And, and, and so there's so much to be discussed there, but well, it's an honor to meet you. Uh, it's, this is such a cool thing. Cause I literally, you and I have talked in one sentence on before this interview in an email, you know, so it's really cool right. to get to talk to you. And I love the, the people in our community doing the work they're doing and right. it's pretty cool. So I chose this song, which is a friend of mine's band. Uh, they're called right, left grand, but it's called when it's over. And I chose that because it was the end of my roller coaster of a day. I still have a little bit of work to do to get this online, but I chose that song and it's recorded live uh, at Lucky's. Mm. And so it's pretty cool. It's a very local, local Love thing. It. So Love it. MayaRabasa.com. Maya Rabasa, you're awesome. Thank you very much. It's great to, to t- chat with you and ch- tune into Broken, Broken Class with Thomas Huda. I don't know if it's dropped yet, but he's dropping the interview with you. He, he was mad because he's like, you're dropping it before me. I tried to be the first. <laughs> and so him and I are on the same schedule. It's pretty great. Well, so I appreciate that. both of you. Yeah, thank yeah, you. he's he's a great. He's a good friend. So good. thank you very much. And this is Right Left Grand with When It's Over. Yeah.